Welcome to Totally Biased Media, the podcast for three brothers that know nothing about video games tell you everything they know about video games. I'm Jordan, and in space, no one can hear you scream. But I'm still going to try. I'm Jason, and this is my favorite game on the Citadel. I'm Jackson, and in space, no one can hear you scream. Wait, Jordan already said that? Sorry, I couldn't hear, because I'm in space. After five long years since its announcement, Starfield has finally arrived. We're saying goodbye to Elder Scrolls Sword and Sorcery and Fallout's post-apocalyptic wastelands, and we're making our way towards the stars. This massive sci-fi adventure has over 1,000 explorable planets, so you know that there's plenty to see. But is it any good? Let's get into it. I want to say that this is the big one. Like, this is the game that's been out there on the horizon for years and years that everybody's been clamoring for. But I also feel like I've said that about half a dozen games in the last year, most notably like Elden Ring and God of War. So I think there's just always a big game out there on the horizon. I've just never paid attention to that trend before. It's almost like the horizon keeps moving. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I feel like this one really fits in that boat because it was originally announced back in 2018 and I want to say originally set for release in 2020, maybe 2021. So, like, I feel like we've all just been ready for this game to release for a while now. And now it just finally is here. It is here. And there is a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, this is, without a doubt, one of the biggest games I've ever played. <laughs> that is unquestionable. So, whether there's anything to do in all that space, um, some of it there is. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I guess there's one thing we can just get out of the way pretty early. Uh, You know, I feel like a big advertising point for this game, they made a big deal about it, was that there's over a thousand explorable planets and like a crap ton of different star systems, plenty of stuff to go to. Uh, How many planets do you guys think you guys have been to in your however long you've played it at this point? Because I'm thinking probably like 10. Eight, eight maybe. I would say in over 20 hours of playtime, I have been to probably 12 or 14 planets, but at least three or four of those had next to nothing on them. Yeah, about the same for me. Yeah, I I feel like there's a lot of uh, important locations that the game kind of leads you to. And I'm not saying that there's no reason to go to most of the planets, uh, but there's not very much reason to go to most of the planets. (laughs) Right. That said, I mean, we probably only scratched the surface. There's probably... I I think that something that's always kind of surprised me about the Elder Scrolls games was you would go out somewhere that seems like the middle of nowhere and still somehow run into a person with a quest for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I will say... I'm sure Starfield's the same way, but it's kind of that... It's that issue where the bigger the map is overall, the less likely you are to run into a point of interest, even if there are more points of interest than ever before. (laughs) Right, right. And there's also the question of what points of interest are even worth exploring, because a lot of them are procedurally generated. They just copy and paste different types of uh, mining facilities or cave systems or whatever onto these planets that otherwise don't have any reason to explore them which again isn't inherently a bad thing and i think the planets that do have plenty to do are very well made with a lot of really interesting places to go but that's neither here nor there for now i guess (laughs) so i definitely want to get into that stuff i just felt like it was something i i wanted to put you know just 
get it off the table as quickly as possible. Right. Just to set expectations. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So a little bit of setup here. Uh, so Starfield, this was made by Bethesda Game Studios, the the group that's behind the Elder Scrolls games. Uh, I think all the Elder Scrolls games, right? Yeah. That's like their, yeah, their so one all... original IP other than this. Right. So they're responsible for all of the Elder Scrolls games and at least a handful of the fallouts, the more recent fallouts, barring New Vegas. <laughs> um, so, you know, these guys sort of have their bread and butter in this open world, very expansive, very uh, detailed RPGs. And Starfield is definitely that. But the, the narrative hook here is you are a deep space miner, uh, M-I-N-E-R, who is on one of their very first jobs with this new mining crew. And in the process of, you know, delving in and looking for resources, you come across this strange alien artifact that as soon as you make contact with it, your character sees these strange, I don't even know what to call them, visions of uh, a a universe... Yeah, lots of space stuff. It's like a it's like a zoom out through all these different galaxies, and um, there's like music and lights and all sorts of crazy stuff. There's all these, uh, you know, phenomenal, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. Just a very very sci-fi vision <laughs> that this person has, and uh, shortly after, someone shows up and says, "Hey, we need that." And then pirates attack, saying they're, they're going to steal it. And because of all this craziness that your character is at the center of, uh, you are sent to hook up with a group called Constellation, who are searching out artifacts like this one and trying to figure out what they are and why they're there and what that means for the future. And you get into all kinds of zany adventures in the process of finding more of them. That, that's pretty much the start. But from there, it can go one of 100,000 directions. <laughs> Yeah. Did I miss any important details? <laughs> you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's pretty similar to the beginning of Mass Effect, isn't it? Similar vibes. Yeah. This with... I guess it's mostly just the fact that you get visions when you get close to these markers. or Is that just like a common sci-fi horror thing? I don't even want to necessarily say horror, but I feel yeah, like Mass Effect, definitely... Dead Space... Anytime you interact with some kind of strange space technology, you just have a vision of the world being destroyed. <laughs> right. Well, this game, it's even amb- it's even ambiguous enough that you don't even really know for sure that that's what you're seeing. Uh, it's definitely got bad vibes. It's not a vision that I think is super positive, but it's very mysterious. And I do think weird visions of weird sci-fi stuff is sort of a, a sci-fi staple. <laughs> Um, I guess let's let's talk a little bit about other Bethesda games here to sort of establish a baseline of where our biases are on this particular one. Jackson, I'll start with you because I know that a lot of these games we're going to be talking about in comparison are basically the same age as you. <laughs> so have you played any other Bethesda Game Studios games? Like I have. My favorite yeah. game, which is literally the same age as you, Morrowind? Uh, <laughs> no, I have not... I think at one point I started that, uh, made a character, and then haven't played it since. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I have really just played the newer games. Like Fallout New Vegas 3 and 4, 
I want to say all of those, at least New Vegas and three, I sunk in at least 10 hours to each of those. Uh, Skyrim was definitely the game of theirs I played the most. Um, probably about like 30 or so hours of that. Never enough time in any of these games to finish them by any means, mm. but enough to like understand what a Bethesda game is like. And I, I've played all of their games from Morrowind on, but I, the only ones I've ever actually finished and even really played enough to, for finishing them to even be a possibility are Skyrim and Fallout 4, which uh, are the ones that I know were the most uh, watered down <laughs> of Bethesda's games. So I guess it's just sort of, uh, I don't quite fit the niche <laughs> of their their headier, deeper RPG stuff. <laughs> Now, Jason, I know you've spent a lot more time with these games. Yeah, I mean, I think that my relationship with Bethesda games is pretty similar to my relationship with Sonic games, where I'm like, I really like Sonic, but also I hate Sonic. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I've played, I think we, we discussed it a little bit earlier uh, off podcast. I, I think that we kind of determined I had played all of the Bethesda games since Morrowind and beaten all of them except Oblivion and Starfield. So, I'm definitely a veteran. I know what to expect from a Bethesda game. I generally like Bethesda games, but I think my big thing is that more often than not, I've been disappointed by them. But you can't have the highs of Morrowind without the lows of Fallout 76, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I haven't beaten Fallout 76 either. I don't know if that's a game you can beat. I I don't know. I kind of lost interest in it pretty quickly. But, yeah. I've played them all. I've beaten most of them. Huge fan. Yeah. Also, I hate them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hate them in like a, you've still played a lot of even the ones you don't like as much. <laughs> Not like a, you hate them. In yeah. A- I mean, I, I hate them in a way where I'm, I'm disappointed by kind of the fall from grace in my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it is really hard to look at anything that comes from the same people that made Morrowind and be like, this is this is good, <laughs> and not just at the same time be thinking like, man, I wish Morrowind was here. <laughs> yeah, because I I feel like every Bethesda game uh, has gotten, and I you know I'm not necessarily saying this about Starfield, so I guess let me just, with the exception of Starfield, I think that as as the graphics have gotten better, the writing has gotten worse. Hmm. So like Morrowind. And to a lesser extent, Oblivion are like really well written and really interesting and have a lot to say. And I feel like Skyrim less so, or you know, Fallout Three less so, and Skyrim less so, and Fallout Four less so, and then Fallout Seventy Six happened. <laughs> yeah, which it had no writing at first. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it's just kind of hard to hard to place myself on how I feel about Bethesda. Yeah, I gotcha. Now, as someone that has played a lot of their games but doesn't necessarily look at myself as like a huge Bethesda fan, I'm going to come in hot with this one and say that Starfield is by far my favorite of their games I've played. It's not to say that I think it's excellent in every way, but the stuff I do like, I really like. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I definitely think I'm biased because I prefer sci-fi and space over medieval and post-apocalyptic but like i really love this game (laughs) referring to the elder scrolls games as medieval is very funny to me (laughs) fantasy was a better term (laughs) 
I should have went with that one. You know, the Elder Scrolls game that take place in, uh, like, the 15th century of our world in our time. Um, Maybe yeah. I would need to play more Oblivion, but I, w- I would definitely say, from what I've played so far, Starfield is my second favorite Bethesda game. Yeah. Right under Morrowind. Yeah, it's... I feel like there are definitely some things that, like, didn't make it seem great before it came out. Like, have your 1,000 planets, because that kind of just felt unneeded. Mm-hmm. But, and, like, people made a big deal over the locked at 30 FPS thing, which, again, like, isn't great, but I don't think it's game-breaking. I mean, I, a smooth 30 is better than... A choppy 60. A rough 60. And I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that that's probably what they were working with, especially sure. on yeah. Series S. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've almost never seen a frame drop in this game. I think maybe one or two in the entire time I've played it. It gets kind of weird when you're getting in and out of your ship, or like yeah. when you're getting out of the, the captain's chair of your ship. Uh, yeah, I have noticed it there a few times. But I would say, I would, I would say generally speaking... This game runs a lot better than I expected it to based on what everyone says about Bethesda games at launch. I have definitely uh, seen some I think some this bugs. game is a huge outlier in Bethesda games in that <laughs> regard. Yeah. I have seen some bugs, including some that I had to reload saves and stuff to get around. But otherwise, nothing game-breaking, nothing consistent, nothing super in-your-face. So far, the only like really bad bug I've seen was when I had two quests that needed to be turned in at the same location. The game just didn't know how to handle that, and it kind of got stuck in a loop. And eventually I found a workaround that was a little weird, but like otherwise I haven't had any bugs that weren't fixed by just a simple <laughs> like load a quick save and you're done type of thing. So I will say, you know, as big and as jam-packed with content as this game is, I'm willing to give it a pass on the handful of bugs I have seen. So. Yeah, I I had one earlier today that I was telling you all about. Um, that at first was really funny, because I was I had just finished taking out some spacers at an outpost and had to talk to someone about it. And while talking to them, more spacers came and started fighting, but it kept me like in the conversation, like thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just had to stare at this NPC as they were moving around shooting spacers until they killed all of <laughs> them. But then it never brought up another conversation box. Uh, so then I had to reload the game from the last save, which was before clearing out that base, mm. uh, which wasn't a big deal, except the fact that it meant I lost a legendary uh, rifle. Dang. I don't think I ran into any, like, obvious bugs. Uh, like, nothing funny happened or anything like that. I did have a couple of times where the game would freeze and I would need to restart it, and a couple other times where the game straight up crashed, mm. uh, like, back to the Xbox dashboard. Wow, I but never had that happen. I think that generally it was pretty bug-free, especially for a Bethesda game. Yeah. So uh, one thing I saw really consistently across the the reviews for this game from the bigger you know, publications was that it's a slow burn. Basically, people were saying the first... Uh, the, the most common thing I saw were either the first dozen hours weren't very good... Or just the first run of the story wasn't very good, and all of you know the the quicker you get to the story, the better. And I partially agree with that. I do think the first maybe four or five hours were a little slow, and I was definitely having some trouble getting into it. 
but it definitely didn't take 12 hours and it didn't take a full completion of the story by any means. And there were still certain systems that never clicked with me, like the ship building and the base building. I never felt super compelled by those, but the regular gameplay loop, the quests, the story, all of that stuff, when it clicked, it really clicked. And I, I really wish I could get to that point with other Bethesda games, and I feel like I need to go back and give them a shot now, now that I see what is on the other side, once you like really come to grips with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think a lot of them saying it takes 12 hours or it takes a full story completion, I don't think that's true at all from my experience. Yeah, I, I feel like I got to a point where I was enjoying it and like looking forward to playing more of it by the time I was three or four hours in. I, I do agree, though, that those those first few hours are a slog. I think part of it is because of, like, how railroady it is. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of thrusts you into the open world and you can do anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, it feels like when you can literally go in any direction, and this game has... I don't know. I can't say for a hundred percent sure. I'm pretty sure the enemies scale with you for the most part. It feels like it. I've never gone somewhere where I was just like completely, you know, decimated by enemies that were quadruple my level or anything like that. Yeah. I, I think having the option to go literally anywhere can be a little bit paralyzing at mm-hmm. first where it's just like, uh, well, I don't know where I want to go. And I, I have a bunch of things in my mission log that are just like, go talk to this guy by the tree. And <laughs> I, I'm like, I don't really want to do that. I still haven't done that. I've had a quest since like three hours in. It's like, go talk to the guy next to the tree. And I still I haven't done it. I did end up it. doing that quest yeah. in particular. Yeah. And it, it was I all right. I don't think I've got that one. It's, I, I it's don't know weird. how you would have missed it. It just uh, popped up as soon as I got to the area with the big tree in New Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think like after you settle into it a little bit and you've gotten to a decent point in the story where you start kind of unlocking I don't I don't know want to get into it too much but you know like there are some cool things that playing through the story will unlock for you that can change the way that you do combat or traversal or you know any number of things like yeah. I, I feel like once you get to that point and then you start feeling comfortable with just being able to explore and talk to strangers and whenever something new pops up in your activity log, like actually going and doing it instead of, you know, putting it off for who knows how long. Yeah. I, I think that there is a lot of fun to be had. And I, I think generally I've enjoyed the side quests and like the faction missions a lot more than I enjoyed any of the mainline stuff, which lines yeah. up with the Elder Scrolls games as well, especially Oblivion and Skyrim. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that the first, handful of story missions are very good if i'm being honest i think gameplay wise they're okay but the narrative behind the first handful of missions is just there's an artifact on this planet go and get it and a lot of them are literally just you land on the planet you walk to a cave there might be some enemies in the cave then you grab the artifact as you get further in i mean you're still collecting artifacts for many many missions after that but they start to spice up what you're doing to get them. You know, you have to make shady arms deals or you have to go onto a ship of a eccentric collector type and, 
you know, you start to unravel some of the mysteries about what the artifacts are, and the, there's an antagonistic force that's eventually introduced that I think the fact that there is a there is a group of true villains in this game, but the fact that they're not introduced until way down the line is very strange. <laughs> um, but I would say the further you get in the story, the better it is. But I still don't... I didn't dislike it in the beginning, though, because I was still doing other side quests and faction stuff in the mix. Like, I was doing a handful of faction quests, then I would go back and do a story mission. Yeah. And I, I think that was a pretty good way to keep the game interesting, even when I was just in that loop of go get artifact, go get artifact, go get artifact. Yeah, I think it's intentionally designed that way, too, where, like, I saw a lot of people before the game had, like, officially released for everyone that were just like, oh, you should focus on the main storyline. I saw some people saying, like, as far as you should don't bother doing side quests until you get to New Game Plus and crazy stuff like that. Yeah. And I think if you were to just focus on doing the main story and nothing else, that the game would be incredibly tedious, kind of boring, and then those big moments with, like, your companions. Because... The members of Constellation, you know, they're your companions as you're traveling through the world. And then they're also, you know, I don't know exactly what to call them. You know, they're there for all the story moments that you have. Like almost everything important that happens in the story, at least so far, happens with several Constellation members around. Yeah. And I, I think that if you were to just straight up play through the story without traveling around with those people at all, then it wouldn't really mean anything when, you know, something major happens to one of the characters. Jackson, how have you felt about the story so far? So far where I'm at with the story, because a lot of my focus has been side content, has just been, hey, here's a place to go get an artifact. Please go get it. Mm. And then you bring it back and you go get a new one. Like, the point where I'm at currently with the main story is um, I just met Andrea. I think it's her name, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then I went to save Barrett, the guy from the beginning of the game. Usually what will happen with me in this game, and was the same thing for the other Bethesda games that I played, is, like, I would start with the idea of, like, okay, I'll do a story mission and then, like, one or two side quests depending on how long the side quest is. Um, but what that always evolves into is I go to do a side quest and on the way to that side quest, I encounter like four more side quests and end up also doing all of those. See, I think one thing that's really, that's really kept me on track with this game in particular is I think it does a pretty good job of establishing what the stakes are of different missions. Like the main story feels like something that you should be investing a lot of time in but that it's okay to branch out and do other things. The faction quests ebb and flow. Sometimes they feel very, go handle this when it's convenient, and sometimes they feel very, we need to get this sorted right now. And I think the game does a really good job of making you feel the the urgency of certain things. And, yeah. like, for example, there's a point uh, I hit four or five hours ago where the story kind of uh, had a zero to a hundred moment. <laughs> it suddenly got a lot more serious very suddenly. And after that point, I felt obligated to do a handful of story missions in a row. But, you know, I didn't necessarily, I didn't stick to that in the beginning. 
And then there's another faction quest I was on where, you know, at first it's just, hey, go check on this group of people. We haven't heard from them in a couple of days. And that evolves into this much bigger, you know, much more dire situation where you find out that there's some potentially like world ending stuff going on. So suddenly that faction became my priority for at least a handful of missions till I hit another point where I felt like it kind of, it wasn't as urgent anymore. And then I started branching out some more. I feel like a lot of games, I definitely get lost in the weeds like that though. I try to take on every side quest as I encounter it. And then I never get back to the main quest. But I feel like the main quest in Starfield is designed to lead you to those things more so than anything else. Like, I, I feel like when you're playing Skyrim, you could play through the whole game without ever running into the Thieves Guild or mm-hmm. even really having any reason to go down to Riften at all. I don't think anything story important even happens there. Yeah. Uh, but like in Starfield, the game makes it pretty clear from the very beginning. It's like, okay, well, your three biggest spaceports or whatever the three biggest places that you're going to want to check out and you know look around for side quests are new atlantis neon and aquila city and they all kind of have very different vibes from each other neon is this like cyberpunk uh kind of it reminds me a lot of the way los angeles is depicted in Blade Runner Hmm. and then you have New Atlantis which is supposed to be like I guess it's the closest thing to like a New York that you have where it's it's this big city that's supposed to be like on the cutting edge of tech I guess it's pretty comparable more to like something like Tokyo in a lot of ways yeah yeah and then you have Aquila City which is kind of your frontier town and you know the things that you're doing the way people live the types of quests that you run into just exploring around are very different on those in those three areas because you know neon you're going to get a bunch of quests that are like kind of exploring the seedy underbelly of the town it's a it's basically a corporate town or a whole bunch of corporations banded together to have some place that's essentially outside of the law where they can do whatever they want yep and when you go there like you're either working for those corporations or you work you're working for like drug dealers and people like that that want to take advantage of this (laughs) lawlessness that the corporations have created. But when you're in New Atlantis, it's a lot more utopian in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. You know, you're helping people with more technological innovations and stuff like that. That's where like the military is. And yeah, you have, you know, you have all sorts of political stuff going on and you're having to deal with, public figures and military leaders the seats of government and, are, yeah. are mostly there yeah and now, then you have aquila city where like i said it's a frontier town you know the people that are living there are just scraping by in a different way than the people in neon because mm-hmm. you know a lot of them are on the brink of homelessness or just straight up are homeless the yeah. people in aquila city are more likely to be you know struggling farmers or you know ranchers people like that like yeah. They're mostly just trying to get by and they need your help because like, ah, aliens are attacking my, my livestock. <laughs> yeah. Now to kind of circle back, you said in the beginning, you really wanted to get it out of the way that like the, th- the 1000 planets thing is kind of nothing. I will say though, those three cities specifically, Neon, New Atlantis and Aquila, those rule like all three of those places are incredibly cool with a lot of really, really interesting people and places within them. So 
I don't mind that I spend a lot of time in those three and less on some barren planet, you know, three solar systems over. Like the, the places you go that do have a lot of stuff have a lot of really cool stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Another I, one I've is... I've probably spent uh, like 10 hours in Neon alone. Yeah, yeah. And then there, there's also like Sidonia on Mars, which is like a like a minor town almost um, with uh, that has like sort of bits and pieces of all of them that are really cool. Like that's a, that's a place I've spent a lot of time so far and uh, multiple faction quests have taken me there in different capacities. I've definitely spent the most time in Aquila though, because the Freestar Rangers is the faction I've, that was, I've messed around with all, all of the factions. I think, I believe there are five of them. There might be more and I could have just missed something, but the Freestar Rangers was the first one I really, I actually liked what they do. <laughs> Every other faction I feel like was pretty inherently evil <laughs> in some way. Whereas I feel like the Freestar Rangers were were pretty cool for the most part. Definitely the further the further you get in that quest, the more you see the issues. But generally speaking, they were the one I really like gravitated towards. So I spent a lot of time in Aquila and a lot of time with the Rangers. And I really, really like the fact that that faction and what they're struggling with is just as fleshed out as the main story in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, it's more exciting what you're actually doing with those than the main story is until kind of the tipping point in what I think is about the middle of the game where suddenly the main story is a lot more intense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jackson, you got any big opinions about the different storylines and factions and stuff like that? Like I said, most of the stuff I've done is side content, so I haven't seen a whole lot of factions or the main story so far. So when you say side uh, content, you just mean like you encounter people on the map that tell you, go here and do this type of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I mentioned earlier, a lot of what the game has been for me is like I have one side quest that's like four systems away or something, and it's like a course that I either haven't been through or my grav, my grav drive is not powerful enough to take me directly to that system. So I have to go through all four of these systems. And like at each one, I encounter one or two things. It's like something new to do. And then I have that that takes like a 30 minute, a 30 minute if that quest to like a full like sitting of the mm -hmm. game. And I've really enjoyed that. I really like that. Because like I've talked to you guys about it before. I had this one quest called... Uh, the Mantis, where the first step was just go to this star system, or actually go to this planet, which was like from where I was at the time, which was uh, New Atlantis, was four systems away. So each time I went to a new one of these systems to get there, there was like something, there was something to do. Like the first one that I went to, there was a uh, just a random space station in front of me that I tried to hail. And no response, so I boarded it, and then there was a thing that was really cool and interesting that I don't want to spoil, even though it's not story-related, just because it's, like, a really cool thing to just randomly encounter. <laughs> and it was just a bunch of stuff like that, over and over again. And one of the times I made that jump to a new star system, I it made me discover an entire new, like, side, uh, side quest line. Like, not just, like, one thing to do, like, an entire storyline hmm. and i've just really enjoyed that my favorite like random person that i've run into while flying around was just a guy that was singing like a shanty nice <laughs>
And then you hail him and you you can compliment the music or tell him it's crap. And then he's like, thanks. Anyway, got to go. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Earlier today, I went to a star system and a ship immediately hailed me and asked me about um, my ship's extended warranty. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I haven't seen the extended warranty. I did jump once and the news was like, hey, we want to interview you just to see how much you know about local politics or I Hmm. guess galactic (laughs) politics. And then uh, I got on their ship and they asked me a bunch of questions and I got like none of them right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Uh, I think they they said that they wanted to determine whether their reporting was uh, going over people's heads too dumb or just right. And what they got from me was that it was going over people's heads. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh. I didn't actually encounter this myself, but I saw a really great video where someone was in a, I believe it was a spacer base. And uh, the first person they encountered, uh, instead, like spacers, you normally just jump straight into a fight if you're trespassing in their space or whatever. But this particular guy, he starts talking to the player and he says, hey, I heard there was an intruder and you match the description. And one of the options you have to say back to them is, actually, you match their description. <laughs> and then you basically pull a duck season, rabbit season on him until he just gives up and he's like, I don't know who's the intruder anymore and walks away. <laughs> like, there's a lot of really, really good dialogue and good character moments buried in stuff that you would never expect to, in- like, to encounter those situations in. It's clear that Bethesda put a lot of love and care into this game. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it, it's kind of crazy to say, but it's like heads and shoulders above like Skyrim or something mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. The world just feels very fleshed out. Like they put a lot of work into yeah. this. Now, another way that they've really improved this game. And I think this might be the reason I've clicked with this one better than any of the other games. Uh, I think Bethesda games have always had relatively poor combat. Mm-hmm. Which is mostly because their their bigger focus is on the RPG elements and the preparation before you go into a fight more than the actual fight itself. Whereas I think this game is the first Bethesda game I've played that I would say the combat actually feels pretty good. Not in line with like a a true like not a not on the level of like a Call of Duty or, or a Destiny shooter. But as far as RPG shooter goes, this one feels pretty good and has a lot of meat to it, which I appreciate. Yeah, I definitely like the combat in this a lot more than something like Fallout 4, which, I mean, you can definitely tell, compare Fallout 3 to Fallout 4 to this. Like, they've clearly put a lot of work into improving that user experience. Yeah. Well, I think... I really enjoy it, especially the gunplay. I haven't messed around too much with the melee weapons. I assume it's probably not great. It's serviceable at best, I guess. It's definitely not great by any means. In the beginning of the game, I was trying to always have like a decent melee weapon at hand, and I was switching to it whenever I was close to an enemy. But in the end, I, I learned that a shotgun was just generally more effective at close range. Well, a shotgun's kind of like, you know, 8 to 30 tiny knives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that... The combat feeling a lot better, though, does this game an especially big service because a lot of the missions Jackson's were talk- Jackson was talking about were missions that are kind of go here and kill this guy or go here and kill a group of enemies so you can save this guy or whatever. And that kind of stuff is actually still fun 
because the planets are all similar, but, you know, the enemies that are there, the aliens you'll encounter, like, that stuff's always different, and the combat feels pretty good, so it's still fun to just swoop in and spend five minutes clearing out a base of enemies to save somebody or find some item or something. Like, I think the combat is definitely good enough to to push through those kind of tedious quests that wouldn't necessarily work or wouldn't be as good if they were in another but that I think game. the big thing that they nailed with Starfield is combining the kind of interesting storylines and stuff like that that you expect from the Elder Scrolls games with the environmental storytelling of the Fallout games mm. because you know a lot of times you'll end up on a quest line that takes you to like a derelict space station or something like that. And there always is like some fairly interesting story that went down there. Like the game makes sure to give you a reason. If there's a derelict space station, then there is a pretty clear reason why it's been abandoned, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's something that the elder scrolls games never really quite nailed or at least, it felt like a lot of the locations that you went to were kind of boring. <laughs> and, and Yeah, it definitely felt like in Skyrim specifically that, like, I would come up on a bandit base and I would still feel obligated to fight all the bandits, but most of the time I knew I was just doing it for XP and some gold and maybe an okay weapon or something. Yeah. But even that was unlikely. I think the Elder Scrolls games did really well with having interesting storylines too. And I, I think that's something that the Fallout games kind of lack for the most part. It feels like uh, a lot of the times the reason you go somewhere in a Fallout game is to take out bandits that took it over. Mm-hmm. But the big thing that Fallout does that I feel Elder Scrolls doesn't really do quite as much is there's this secondary story of the location wherever you go where you know currently it's been taken over by bandits, but... What happened 200 years ago when the bombs fell? Like, <laughs> right. what kind of humans, human rights atrocities were taking place in this car factory? <laughs> right. And I, I think Starfield, like, expertly marries those two concepts. Hmm. I think it's the probably my favorite part of the game. I got to explore, like, an abandoned spaceship way out in the middle of nowhere, and... On that spaceship, I found out that another spaceship had docked with it at some point and was trying to steal all the stuff off of it Hmm. and trying to figure out, like, one, what happened to the spaceship that left it stranded floating in the middle of space was really interesting because you also got to read log entries about the different members of the team that was piloting the spaceship and their relationships with each other and how they all reacted to an emergency. (laughs) And at the same time, you have this secondary storyline where this other guy ends up on the ship long after it's been abandoned, and he's also trapped there for some reason. His ship has been disabled by a some kind of freak accident or a space storm or something. And what happened to him? How did he die? And it's just good stuff. It's it's exactly what I've been looking for in a game. Now, to, to kind of move on from the uh, the stuff that I personally think is is pretty positive to what is definitely my least favorite part of the game. Uh, I think that everything about the ships in this game is uh, okay at best. 
and straight up frustrating at worst. <laughs> Not only in terms of I don't particularly like flying the ships, I think even just the way that they are implemented into regular travel feels really underwhelming. And what I mean by that is most of the time when you are traveling between planets, you're not actually doing much in the ship. You're sitting down, you're clicking takeoff, then you turn on your scanner, aim at where you want to go, and click the button to go there. There's no real... Like, there's, there's never really a point where it feels like manually controlling the ship matters, except for combat. And even then, I don't personally enjoy the combat very much. I, I kind of enjoy the combat. My, my biggest issue with the ship is that so much of getting around in this game is dependent on what is essentially just fast travel, you know? Right, flying your with ship extra steps. To, yeah, <laughs> flying your ship to a new area is... You know, there's no way to do it just by flying there yourself or, you know, there's no active control of getting there. It's just going into a menu and holding X over the right location. And I think it got worse at a certain point. It got less tedious, but worse when I realized that uh, you can most of the time you can just pause the game and immediately just instantly fast travel to your ship and to whatever, you know, place that you're trying to go in space. So, in some locations, you could go from one town to another without ever actually getting in your ship or doing anything like that. It took a lot of the tedium out, but it also kind of left me wondering, well, what was the point of the ship? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And And it's a bummer, too, because I think that the ship building... And what you can do with that system in this game is really impressive. I think they did a really good job of making a system that has a lot of variety to it, but is still user-friendly enough that if you give it enough time, you will eventually figure it out. But the problem is that, in my opinion, there really wasn't any reason to invest a lot of time into a, into a specific ship because, at the end of the day, all that really mattered were how much shield you had, how much damage your weapons did, and how much storage capacity it had. Everything else about it kind of just felt like fluff. Yeah. I didn't spend really a lot of time with the ship customization. I didn't even touch it until about an hour and a half before we started recording this, actually. So, like, how much of it did you guys, um like mess around with like what all can you do with the ship customization i didn't do a lot if i'm being honest i i stole a ship that i liked the general layout of and i liked the weapons it had on it about five or six hours into the game and after that point when i would get to a point where i feel like i wasn't sufficient in fights i would upgrade my weapons which upgrading weapons is pretty straightforward. It's not even part of like the true ship builder mechanics. There's literally just like, there's like a whole separate thing that's just your weapons and your shield, I believe, where you can just click upgrade and it gives you a list of options. So I did that. Eventually I decided that I wanted to add crafting stations to my ship. So I added a section with all the workbenches and things. And then eventually I decided I want to add a research station, so I added one of those on top. But beyond that, I didn't really do too much else with it besides, like, adding some storage here and there when I needed a little bit extra. 
I would say like I I did enough to understand how it works, but I never tried to like build a ship from scratch or anything. I think Jason had a different experience with that though. I I think what really helped me out was I started out by following a guide to build a ship that I really liked. I saw on Twitter, I think it was Gene Park had shared a Reddit post where someone else had made a model or a, you know, like a recreation of the Normandy from Mass Effect. Hmm. And I started out by just kind of following that guide as closely as possible and, you know, getting the right look for the ship. And I think that that was really useful because it taught me how the different customization options worked and what you could do with different ship parts and stuff like that. And then I got to a point where I started just tweaking the ship myself. Like I would replace its weapons with something different or I would upgrade its shield manually or, you know, you know stuff like that just to improve the ship but keep the same look Hmm. and i i think that once i got to a point where i felt comfortable just messing around with stuff by myself and not feeling like i needed to follow a guide anymore it was a lot more fun and there was a lot more options that i realized i had with the ship customization Hmm. uh my problem was still just the ship combat i don't feel like it comes up often enough for you to really get a lot of practice with it unless you were to do something like piracy right and I ended up in a quest line that ended with a huge ship battle. And I spent like two hours where I would just try to do the fight a couple of times. And I'd realize like, oh, well, I'm completely outclassed here. So I'd go to a, a ship port and I would try upgrading my ship in a few different ways. You know, give it better shields, better weapons. And I would go back and I would just get killed. And I, I think what really ended up being the problem was the way that ships lock onto you is really weird sometimes when you're fighting like big groups of enemies Mm -hmm. because I had part of the quest line. Like I had a couple of other ships helping me with the fight, but the problem that I would run into is there was like 13 ships I needed to destroy and I would take out, you know, five or six of them, but then I would turn around and the other seven were all fighting me at once and just completely melt through my shields and my health. And there's nothing (laughs) I can do at that point. Yeah sapped all the enjoyment that I was getting out of the ship combat up until that point because it was preceded by three other really big battles and I felt I didn't run into that issue so much with those fights. They were a lot more manageable. And I feel like the ship combat has always been... I don't know. I think it's really good when it's like you mm-hmm. versus one to three enemies, but as soon as there are more enemies than that, it just gets overwhelming. And maybe I just need to get good, but... Uh, <laughs> Like I said, I didn't have enough opportunity to get good because I haven't run into a lot of other ships that I could fight. Yeah, in my experience, ship combat was always either really, really easy or really, really hard. There was no there was no medium difficulty in ship combat. I was either very well prepared or I was drastically underprepared, and that's it. So Yeah, I feel like it's hard to talk about without either sounding whiny or just not having much to say about it at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's very simple like there's a lot you can do to build your ship to prepare before you get into the fight but the fights itself are very simple it's just you lock on to an enemy and then there's a little circle that shows you where to aim kind of out in front of them where the bullets will actually hit and you just kind of do that until they're destroyed i mean there are like lasers work better on shields and ballistics work better on the body of the ship but generally speaking there's not a whole lot to it. It's not to say it's bad, but it's very simple and not super well balanced, in my opinion. I mean, I think my 
biggest issue with the ship in general is just expectations that weren't quite met. Mm-hmm. And I know they said pretty early on that it wasn't going to be No Man's Sky. And I guess part of me was still hoping that maybe it would be more like No Man's Sky than it is. You know, like, I'm not expecting Elite Dangerous out of this, but it would have been nice if there was a way to get between planets without having to go to a loading screen. Or, you know, all of these canned animations that are just constantly playing. Like, every time you dock with a ship, it's almost the exact same animation every time. Yeah. Or every time you fast travel within a system, it plays a little animation, just a canned thing. I mean, I guess it's I guess it's not technically canned because it does show your ship, which implies it's real time. But I don't know. A lot of it just felt tedious, and like I didn't really have that much stuff I could do with the ship. The when you're in your ship, it might as well just be an empty plane that occasionally has enemies in it that you can fly around. Right. I mean, people have proven that like you can actually fly between planets and stuff like that if you have enough time, but it doesn't matter because you still need to go to a loading screen if you actually want to fly to that planet. Yeah, and like on one hand, I get it, because realistically, the amount of time it would take to leave orbit of one planet and fly into the orbit of another is astronomical. Like It's an amount of time no one would actually want to spend, which is why I, I kind of feel like this game would have been better off if it was comparable in scale to like outer worlds, Mm -hmm. but with the exception of you can just fly from one location to another, not just a series of loading screens or whatever. I mean, I think there's a good middle ground. I mean, if I don't, I guess I know you, neither of you have played elite dangerous elite dangerous has this thing called super cruising, which is, it's above light speed or it's like close to light speed or something like that. I don't know exactly how it works because I haven't played it in a few years, but you, you have this thing where you're going really, really fast in space, like fast enough that you can fly between planets without it taking forever. Because I mean, elite dangerous is somewhat similar to Starfield in that it has these fully modeled planets and all that. Like, you can fly between anywhere in the same uh, solar system, but you know if you want to travel to another solar system, you have to go to what is essentially a loading screen. Mm-hmm. But you'd basically have just three modes of travel. You have your normal ship flying around, that's all sublight, and then you have approaching light speed where you can travel between planets, and it, it takes several minutes, but it's still a lot faster than if you were flying normally. And then you have your faster-than-light travel for getting between systems. And I just really wish that Starfield had that, you know, second phase of movement, Mm -hmm. like Elite Dangerous, to kind of connect the galaxy a little bit more. I think it would be a lot better if there wasn't, like, fast travel within a star system. Like, once you were in a star system, you had to fly to the planet yourself. Even if there's still a loading screen to actually get down to the planet, it would just make traveling a lot more interesting yeah it would make it feel like the time i spent building and putting together this ship at worth it you know like it was something i made that i actually get to use now yeah it's weird i mean like i don't hate it it's just 
misplaced expectations. And I, I don't necessarily know that they communicated exactly what they were making until it was already out. Well, I think that was a deliberate choice. Like they didn't want, they didn't want to be like, yeah, space travel is basically just a bunch of menus. (laughs) No. Um, which feels a little crappy, but it is what it is, I, I guess. Bethesda's kind of famous for lying. I mean, I think Todd Howard <laughs> claimed that Fallout 3 had 300 endings or something. But he was just factoring in the fact that there are like 10 different ending slides, essentially. And those could have any number of... The order between those slides could be different depending on what you did or different outcomes to different quest lines would cause there to be a slightly different slide. Right. It's hard to trust anything that comes out of, especially Todd Howard's mouth. <laughs> yeah. So one system I, I didn't really mess with at all, but I've heard really cool things about is the base building in this game. Did you all really do much with that at all? I never got to that in the first place. Hmm. I mean, you definitely could have. You unlock it. Yeah, I don't mean like I couldn't have. I just mean like I never, I never messed with it to begin with. Yeah, I built I never, a tiny base on oh. Earth just because I wanted to have a base on Earth. <laughs> yeah, but it it was I, basically just there to collect one resource and fill up a bunch of containers with it, and then I didn't actually. <laughs> right. I don't think I ever went back to it, so I haven't like <laughs> sold any of that or anything. Yeah. I I got to a point in the story where it gives you a narrative reason that you could build a base. It doesn't make you, but it gives you a reason that it would be beneficial. So I started messing with it, and I saw just how much I could do, and it was pretty overwhelming, so I packed it up and decided not to do that. <laughs> um, but it's something that... I think once I have played a lot more of this game, like three times as much of this game, then that's something I could see myself finally giving an honest shot to. Because I've heard you can do a lot of really cool stuff. You can automate a lot of systems where it can make you a lot of money, get you a lot of resources. Um, you can have you can assign like workers from your crew to do stuff there. It seems like there's a lot of really cool stuff you can do with it. But in my mind, those are mechanics that don't really come into play until I feel like I've extracted all the value I can out of more the, the, the more narrative stuff. And I'm not even close to that point yet. I think they needed to do something like Fallout 4 has a tutorial for the base building very early on in the game where it's right. like you already, you start with a settlement that already has people in it and they're like, Hey, we need this, this, and this for the settlement. Can you build it? I, th- I think that Starfield needed something like that. And maybe there is something like that, but that comes back to the issue I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, where when your map is as big as this map is, you know, just looking at sheer square footage of the Starfield map, it's probably one of the biggest games of all time. Like, when your game is that big, it doesn't matter how many points of interest you put in it because most players are not going to run into most of them. Because if you have a you know map that size and there's a point of interest every thousand feet or something like that, if I travel in the right way, I might not even see the point of interest. Mm-hmm. I might not see any of the points of interest. It, it just seems like this game is going to have a big issue with 
people are going to miss out on a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the different types of content that the game has just because of sheer size. It it's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't know that I'm saying that games should have like a maximum map size or anything like that, but <laughs> yeah. I think that they should railroad you a little bit more into tutorials for stuff like the base building. Right. Unless they just want to spend thousands upon thousands of man hours just creating, you know, hyper specific storylines that kind of just take you there as you go. But I feel like this game already has so much writing and so many different missions, you know, from different factions and perspectives and things that, uh, more stuff like that just wasn't even a possibility. I bet there's yeah. like a shipbuilding tutorial somewhere too. Probably. Where it's Probably. like somebody tells you, hey, straight up, I need this ship to have these parts on it. And yeah. I want it to look like this or something, you know? Or be, you know, smaller than this size. You know, something weird like that. Where it's like yeah. specific enough that you have to build a certain way. I, I think the game just kind of leaves you to figure stuff like that out. For yourself because maybe you'll get to a point where you need a resource and you're like well i can get in a functionally infinite amount of it if i make a new base on this planet or you'll get to a point in space combat where it's like ah oh, keep getting creamed there's got to be some way to upgrade my ship <laughs> i think starfield is kind of a hard game to talk about without getting into spoilers yeah. because it feels like so much of it could be construed as a spoiler for sure yeah. You don't really want to ruin that anyone's experience. And I, I think that there are things in this game that just their existence in general are kind of seen as spoilers. Yeah. I mean, like like I kind of hinted at earlier on, there is a completely unique mechanic in this game that I did not know existed in any capacity. And it wasn't like a game changer per se, but it was like a pretty significant addition to your combat and exploration, something that I did not know was coming in the slightest. <laughs> so, you know, there is a lot to find in this game. And it's, you don't want to take away other people's uh, surprise. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I feel like so much of what Starfield is is about experiencing something where I would say I'm even more aware about spoilers for this game than a lot of other games. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I'm more aware of spoilers in this game than I am for some movies. Yeah. Where I'm like, uh, look, it's not going to ruin Harry Potter. If I tell you Snape kills Dumbledore or that they're all dead in six cents in the same way that I think it'll ruin Starfield. <laughs> if I tell you, you get superpowers or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it's time for us to give our final thoughts. Jackson, sum it up for us. I feel like I haven't said a whole lot about Starfield in this episode. And it, it does just kind of feel like a hard game to talk about because I feel like a lot of it is kind of stuff we've seen before, like with a lot, like how I've talked about with side content. But it still just feels so much better than any other Bethesda game I've played. And not even because it's just less bugs. It just feels... The world feels a lot more fleshed out and connected than anything I've played from the other ones before. Which isn't many of them, but... It's like... The ones that get talked about the most, other than Morrowind and Oblivion. 
I think that the story is connected in a way that the other games aren't while the locations themselves are somehow more disconnected than ever like functionally <laughs> I yeah it definitely feels like locations are disconnected but I feel like that's kind of something that makes a lot of sense because it is you know not just different towns on one map it's a bunch of different planets that are vastly different from its next door neighbor yeah no i i hear like you in, but like it's yeah. like we were talking about when i made the comparison to elite dangerous like there are ways to get around that kind of issue to make the things in a solar system feel more connected to each other even like mm-hmm. it would be one thing I, if like i get having a loading screen or whatever to show that you're traveling between star systems but I think a big part of the space game experience is traveling through space and Starfield never feels mm-hmm. like you're actually traveling through space. Right. It feels like you My are one it, it essentially I think feels like a shooting gallery a lot of the time. Yeah. My one big gripe with this game is just the space travel doesn't seem like there was much put into it. But even with that, so far, which there's still a good bit more games to come out this year, and some from earlier this year that I still need to go back and play more of, but even with the few issues I have with Starfield, as of right now, it is my game of the year. I like it. I don't know if I like it that much. <laughs> will it change when Spider-Man comes out? It 100% will change, but I still got another month for that. Yeah, I keep getting... I keep getting a little bit sad when i remind myself that uh final fantasy doesn't come out till next year that's gonna be a good one a lot of good games on the horizon for the rest of this year but as of right now this one is my game of the year which feels weird considering how little i have to say about it in this episode but i really like it it's phenomenally good definitely has the issues but a lot of games do (laughs) So yeah, that's that's uh that's my Starfield thoughts. <laughs> I can definitely agree with that. You know, I, I think I've been a little bit negative about some aspects of the game, but overall, like I I do really like Starfield. I could definitely see it as a game of the year contender. I think this is kind of a tough year. I mean, if we take if yeah. we take remakes <laughs> out of the running, then I guess this probably isn't as tough of a year. But this has just been such a good year for remakes. Yeah, Just for games in general, there's been a whole lot of good ones. Yeah, but I, I can't think of a game anything of the that I enjoyed quite hard. as much as Dead Space Remake or Resident Evil 4 Remake. Mm-hmm. Dead Space Remake's definitely a standout for me. Uh, even though I didn't play much of it, Resident Evil 4 Remake is too. Even though I was pretty uh, negative about it when it released, Final Fantasy 16 is definitely up there for me too. There's just there's been a lot of good games this year, and that definitely does make it hard to pick a best one. Yeah. But uh, I like space, so I'm biased towards this one. <laughs> I do think, at the end of the day, Starfield is really cool. I, I think it's one of the best games that Bethesda has ever put out. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, second only to Morrowind, and that's high praise coming from me. <laughs> I have a few disappointments, but I think those are vast, vastly outweighed by the things that I really like, which... Primarily among those is the storytelling and the ability to craft like such unique worlds all in one game. 
it there aren't many games where I feel like you get to go somewhere like Neon and somewhere like Aquila City. Mm-hmm. Just it, it's kind of crazy how varied things can get. Um, the main story is uh, I think it has its moments where there's like really cool stuff that happens, but thus far, and I'll I'll maybe give an update on this once I actually finish the main story. I, I think that it's a little too reliant on just being fetch quests. I get that it's trying to lead you around to different corners of space and kind of get you to interact with all the different side quests and stuff like that, but it definitely has been a low point for the most part. (laughs) I don't think that going around and getting the different artifacts has been all that interesting, while I think that hanging out with pirates in space has been awesome. (laughs) So, I mean, I really like it. I think I'd recommend it to anybody that has a lot of time on their hands, because it does take a little bit to get going and to kind of find your footing with it. I don't even necessarily know that it takes, I think by the time you're like two or three hours into it, you're done with the tutorials, but I think it still takes a little bit of time after that to get to a point where like you really start to feel comfortable exploring. But once you get there, I mean, it's a very unique game. That's about it for my thoughts. Jordan, what are you thinking? I would say as someone that's never really loved a lot of, other Bethesda games. I think this is one that could bring a lot of people in. And it's definitely piqued my interest for some of the older Bethesda products that I've, or projects that I, I didn't give enough time to. I will say the beginning is a little rough. And I, I think that the ship travel is just across the board tedious and unfun. But what does work in this game works incredibly well. I think the factions are all really interesting with very unique motivations. They take you on interesting quests in the process of interacting with them. I think that once the main story gets going, it really gets going. And I think that the combat's really fun the whole way through, um, even if it's a little spongy at first. <laughs> but, you know, once you've come to grips with some of the systems, once you've found some decent gear, once you've, you know, added a couple things onto your ship that just are sort of ease of use type things, I, I think it, it, really is a a great sandbox for just going out and exploring space and going to some cool places in the process. So, you know, I didn't love it at first and there's definitely still stuff that I, I'm not vibing with, but for the most part, I've, I've enjoyed my time with it a lot. I've enjoyed it more the more I've spent time in it. So can't say that about every game, you know, after the 20 hour mark, (laughs) there aren't many games that are still improving that late in the game. It's a game I'm sure I'm going to spend a lot of time with, but probably not at the rate I have been up to this point. Like, I don't think that, you know, I put about 20-ish hours in the last two weeks. I don't think I will continue at that rate, but I think this is a game I will keep coming back to for a while, especially once I get to the point where I do want to start really engaging with, like, building a ship and building bases and stuff like that. Yeah. I think this is probably, barring Final Fantasy one of the few games that we've talked about this year that like I know that I'm going to come back to for a while. Yeah. Uh, yep. Just because like it has, it, it, it is the kind of game that I'm looking for. Like it has yeah. everything that I want in a game. Maybe not exactly to the level that I want, but I think that there are some things that it just has in spades in a way that no other game that's come out in a while really has. And it makes me able to push through the things that I don't like. (laughs) 
and it's just fun. Pretty to look at. It is pretty. Uh, I played some of it um, on a pretty high-end PC at the gaming center at my college. Um, real pretty. <laughs> Runs pretty well. I don't have other things to say other than that. <laughs> well, that's already a lot of Starfield talk. So I think that means it's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what is something else that you've been into? Uh, I didn't really have much to talk about. I did watch Zombieland again for the first time since I first watched it like, I don't know, five years ago. It's it's pretty good. Um, Bill Murray's there for a while and then he isn't. Uh... There's Twinkies, sometimes snowballs, but those aren't as cool. Um, Mark Zuckerberg's there. Carnage is there. Girl from La La Land's there. You know, I don't mind you calling him uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I I do think Woody Harrelson <laughs> deserves more than just Carnage. It's like I'm, it's like I'm watching defense, the movie again. I've only seen him in two movies, and it's Zombieland and Carnage. This man's uh, missing out on a lot of Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a pretty good movie. Uh, never saw the sequel. I think I remember hearing it's not very good. But I don't know, and neither do I care, because I don't really plan on watching the sequel. Didn't the sequel come out <laughs> like not 10 right years now. after the first movie? Yeah. I don't think that kind of thing ever works out that well. No. I think one of the few times I can think of where it worked out was... Blade Runner. Yeah. But I think that, that the reason it worked out is because there was like 40 years between them. Yeah. And they were going for something like entirely different with 2049. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, the movie I was originally talking about, Zombieland. Uh, it's pretty good. I, I like it. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, if you like movies with Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, and Emma Stone, and um bill murray for a little bit then sure go see man it. are you trying to sell the movie on bill murray he's in like one scene <laughs> um if you don't like any of those actors i guess don't see it i think I zombie land is a very of it you do what you want it's a very of its time <laughs> movie i think yeah. i have a hard time recommending anyone be like you need to watch zombie land no i don't i don't know if i'd ever tell someone like Man, you gotta watch Zombie. If I'm gonna point someone towards a zombie comedy movie, it's it's gonna be Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, for sure. That one holds up incredibly well. I watched it like last year. There's a couple like jokes that definitely aren't super tasteful, but overall still a very good movie. Jason, what have you been into? Well, I decided to also take a look back in time. And uh I started playing Super Mario Odyssey again, which it it actually ended up kind of stemming from me getting bored and wanting to play a Mario game. And I went back to play Super Mario Sunshine and Super Mario Galaxy. And mm. at least in Galaxy's, you know, point, like, I think that Super Mario Galaxy is a really good game, but I don't think the movement is very good in either of those games. Like, I don't think it's satisfying in the same way that Super Mario Odyssey can be when you're, like, really going. (laughs) Yeah. And I just wanted to play a game with that kind of smooth motion. And I I don't know how to explain it necessarily, but 
Super Mario Odyssey is maybe one of the best feeling games that I've ever played. Oh, for sure. Just because it, it feels like every single thing that Mario can do, every move in his arsenal, just flawlessly blends into every other move in his arsenal. It's honestly kind of insane how well-tuned his movement is. It also feels kind of weird talking this way about Mario. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I totally get what you mean, though. Like, uh, the there was one specific moment the first time I was playing Mario Odyssey where there was an area it's in, like, the sand, the desert world, which I think is the second world you visit, where there's an area that is supposed to be inaccessible. But I did like a triple jump trying to get to somewhere else. And I realized I was getting very close to that platform, something that I was supposed to get to by progressing in the story. I realized I could get very close to just, just getting on top of it. So I just messed around with it for a while. And eventually I figured out the triple jump into wall jump into direction cancel into cap throw into dive <laughs> and that's when i realized there is no ceiling in that game exactly <laughs> like you can just go <laughs> wherever you want to get to there is some combination of weird jumps and dashes and throws that will get you there and when you finally figure it out it is awesome so. once you master hat throw into just dive that game opens up in such an insane way yeah maybe one of the highest skill ceilings i've ever seen in a game yeah and it's in a platformer that's made with like four-year-olds in mind yeah. <laughs> but also like i think i've talked about it before the the different worlds that you go to and the different people that you run into those worlds i just think mario odyssey is such a fun game I really don't have any major complaints about it that I can think of other than it's maybe some of the moons are a little tedious. Mm. I feel like every game that I like really love, I usually replay within two years or so, but like Mario Odyssey, like probably one of the best games I've ever played. And I have not played it since I originally beat it. Half of that's because I'm pretty sure you still have my copy of the game. The other half is because I haven't felt like asking for it back. Mario Odyssey is one of those games that I I don't feel like I can ever put it down for longer than a couple months without wanting to come back to it. And I'm really excited for, you know, Super Mario Wonder and the Super Mario RPG games that are coming out soon. Both RPG and Thousand Year Door. But I'm really excited for whatever the follow-up to Super Mario Odyssey is. It's kind of funny to think that Mario hasn't moved this well since Mario 64. <laughs> yeah. Just because, like, every other Mario, every other 3D Mario game, which I guess is just Sunshine and the Galaxy games, like, they've always felt this weird need to put some kind of new movement mechanic and dropping a lot of the old movement mechanics. Like, I don't think you can roll or do anything like that in Mario Galaxy. I think the closest you have is the long jump. Because instead, you have spinning, which is fine, but I don't think it really... I don't think that spinning changes the way that you get around the world quite in the same way as the hat throw and the dive does. Which, the dive I mean, was in 64. Like, it's 
it's something that Mario's like always had or, you know, always should have had. <laughs> do you think because of the success of Mario Odyssey that we'll see like a true sequel to it? Or do you think they're just going to move on to like a new gimmick for the next game? I mean, I think Jordan and I disagree on this point, but I imagine that yeah. they're going to do something entirely different for the next Mario game. I think we're going to see a direct sequel to Odyssey and then they'll do something different afterwards. But I think I'm also a little bit surprised it hasn't already happened. So that's also how I feel about it. I feel like if they were to do a sequel, they probably would have already. I mean, the sequel to Breath of the Wild just came out. That's, that's true. But that was announced back like only two years after the game came out. Well, I think that Mario has like a unified team for the 2D and 3D games now. Mm. Like I think... Back in the DS and the Wii era, I think there was one team that was working on 2D Marios and one team that was working on 3D. And I think it's just one team that works on Mario now. And Super Mario Wonder has been in the pipeline for, I believe, the entirety of the Switch's uh, lifespan. Yeah. Maybe after that, I wouldn't expect anything on the Switch to follow up Mario Odyssey. Which isn't super surprising because I think the only console that's ever gotten two 3D Mario's was the Wii. Wii U didn't even get one. Well, I get, no, I got Mario. Wait, what two did the Wii? What two did the Wii get? Galaxy One and Two. Oh yeah, okay. I guess the the Wii U got 3D World, right? I think so. That that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Good stuff though. I like I like 3D Mario. I, I feel like Mario is one of the few where I like equally like the 3d and 2d games like when it comes to legend of zelda i feel like i prefer to 3d and when it comes to like sonic even though i'm still not a big fan of it i definitely prefer the 2d but mario i like both of them they're both pretty cool i had friends in college that tried to say things like uh they they couldn't get into mario and they tried to say like oh it's because i didn't grow up with mario or something like that and i don't understand that at all because i do not care about mario as a character the reason i like mario games is because like they're really good like yeah like they're some of the best 2d and 3d platformers out there that's the reason that people play mario it doesn't have anything to do with like nostalgia i don't think i mean i'm sure that plays into why people buy them immediately as they come out but i i think like I'm not playing Super Mario Odyssey because I grew up playing Mario 64 DS. <laughs> right. It's just good games. Good franchise. <laughs> That's probably enough about Mario for right now. Jordan, what have you been up to? So you all talked a lot about your contenders for game of the year. And I think that there is definitely still a, a big conversation to have about TBM's like official game of the year. And I know for a fact the game I'm about to talk about will not be TBM's game of the year. But even in a year that has had Starfield, Tears of the Kingdom, uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake, all games that I would consider excellent, I still think my favorite game this year, like with a bullet, is Sea of Stars. Now, this is a game you may not have even heard of, um, if you're not really into the gaming, you know, atmosphere. But it is sort of everything I like in an RPG turned up to 11. It is a turn-based JRPG or 
JRPG inspired, like it's very much in the tune of like SNES era games like uh, Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI. And it takes a lot of stuff from that era and modernizes it in really, really exciting ways. So this is a turn-based RPG, but there are a handful of systems that are added on top that make it a lot more exciting than your average turn-based RPG. You know, the, probably the most important of those is it takes sort of the action command system from originally Super Mario RPG, but then the paper, but then the Paper Mario games and the Mario and Luigi games, and what that means is. It is turn-based in terms of you click attack, and then you click which target you want to attack. But it's not as simple as it just happens. The character runs over, and then there's like a little timing-based minigame of some kind where you have to pre properly press the button, or you have to, you know, press the button consistently to deflect a projectile back or whatever. And it adds this actual skill component to both attacking and defending in a way that keeps even very simple fights really entertaining. But it also has some of its own sort of DNA kind of to spice that up even further, where it has, you know, if you do a melee attack, then that feeds into one bar of, you know, like one meter, and you use that meter to do these combo attacks where you can have two characters attack at the same time, and then doing combos feeds into this other meter where you can have one character do like a super attack, almost like a limit break in, in Final Fantasy. And those systems, you know, they're, they're very particular about when you do what and how you use those abilities. And it also has some other systems that are really cool, like it has a sort of Octopath Traveler's whole thing of if you hit enemies with the right combination of attacks, you can stagger them. And it has this really interesting thing where, you know, doing a regular melee attack just does like slashing or blunt damage or whatever. But it also creates this energy that you can then absorb into other attacks that adds elemental damage later on. So it just has a lot of these very simple systems, most of which are from other games, that it incorporates into this very, very, very streamlined version of turn-based combat that's both fun and rewarding and very nostalgic, but it never just relies on nostalgia. I think that if there's any criticism of this game, it is in the fact that I think the story starts a little weak. It's very traditional JRPG in the beginning. You know, you have these two chosen heroes that have special mystical powers that have to go and fight an ancient evil. But I think what the game does different is it really hones in on these character moments that happen between your party members. Like you do have these two chosen warriors that are like your main characters, but all of your companions are very fleshed out, interesting characters that have a very unique place in the world and interact with the world differently than your main characters do. And the game takes you to some absolutely astounding places, both from a, an aesthetic standpoint and some narrative directions that I never saw coming. Like, I've just, I've had so much fun with this game. It's about a 25 to 30 hour run just to get to the story. It took me closer to 30, but I did some side stuff that I don't think you could really lump into the story. And I still have plenty more stuff to go back and do as far as hidden collectibles. And there's a couple of bosses you can't get to until you finish the story. 
but like there has not been a minute of this game other than maybe like the tutorial where I haven't absolutely loved it. I think that everything it does is so smart. It constantly switches up the formula. It adds new elements. It goes some places I would have never, ever expected from like a story perspective. Um, there's a point, there's a point in about halfway to two thirds of the way to the game where there is such a tremendous tonal shift that the game actually changes your battle music and your UI. <laughs> like it, it works the same, but it looks different because it no longer fits like the vibe of the game. Like it has such a massive change of pace and momentum, just totally out of the blue in a very, very exciting way. Um, the studio is, is pretty new and they only actually have one other game that was fully their own called The Messenger. And if you're unfamiliar, The Messenger is this like side scroller sci-fi thing. And then this is like a high fantasy, very bubbly and very colorful world. But they made it clear early on, these games take place in the same universe. And at first you're like, that could not possibly be the case. Like these are as different as could be, but this game just, it goes so many directions that at this point, I don't, I don't know that anything, like it has like a, almost like a multiverse thing going on. And uh, it, it's crazy. It's, it's got a lot of stuff that I would have never thought would work together, both mechanically and aesthetically and narratively, but all of it just flows so, so well. Um, yeah, Sea of Stars, it is on PlayStation Plus and Game Pass. They made a really big deal about the fact that it's the first game that launched on both day one. Um, so whatever console you play on, it's there. I think it's only like 25 bucks even on PC. So it is a very, very, very good game with a lot of, lot of systems to dig into and a really cool world and characters and story. Like I have just been so impressed with it and I'm so glad that I have even more to dig into. This is a game I know I'm gonna come back to pretty regularly. So, again, I don't think it has even a chance of being the TBM game of the year <laughs> because it fits a lot of very niche things that I love in games. Like, I don't think it's a game that everybody is going to be as thrilled about as I am, but it hits like all the highs I look for in a game and I have absolutely loved it. I definitely wanna give it a shot. I've had it downloaded on Xbox since the day it came out. I just haven't played it yet. <laughs> And I know there's a good chance I won't like it at all because it's not my usual cup of tea, but I definitely want to give it a shot. Sorry, I'm going to be too busy with Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. First, I'm going to have to beat Cyberpunk 2077, though. Sorry, I'm going to be too busy with Cyberpunk 2077. Now the 2.0 update's out. Time to give it another try again. I know that they said you needed to give it another try after the last update, but for real this time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've heard I nothing but good things about Cyberpunk since the I heard you update. can put guns on your car now, and then you can, like, spin out and take enemies out around you. That sounds nice. really cool. Go James Bond on them. <laughs> yeah. That's something I'm always looking for in games. There aren't <laughs> enough games where you can put guns on your car and then do a little spin. Yeah. <laughs> well... I think that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, there are a handful of ways you can do that. First, on the app formerly known as Twitter, it's at TBMcast. Second, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. Third, you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. 
And fourth, we stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash totallybiasedmedia. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on some new upcoming games. Uh, we're going to be talking about Baldur's Gate 3. Then we're on to Spider-Man 2 and Assassin's Creed Mirage and Super Mario Wonder. We got a lot of cool stuff on the horizon, not even counting what's to come in 2024. So uh, let us know how you're feeling about some of those games. We'd love to read it on the podcast. For the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.